Luke chapter 22, verses 39 through 65. Luke 22, 39 to 65, Jesus' arrest. Jesus went out as usual to the Mount of Olives, and his disciples followed him. On reaching the place, he said to them, pray that you will not fall into temptation. He withdrew about a stone's throw beyond them, knelt down and prayed. Father, if you are willing, take this cup from me. Yet not my will, but yours be done. An angel from heaven appeared to him and strengthened him. And being in anguish, he prayed more earnestly and his sweat was like drops of blood falling to the ground. When he rose from prayer and went back to the disciples, he found them asleep, exhausted from sorrow. Why are you sleeping? He asked them. Get up and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. While he was still speaking, a crowd came up and the man who was called Judas, one of the 12, was leading them. He approached Jesus to kiss him. But Jesus asked him, Judas, are you betraying the Son of Man with a kiss? When Jesus' followers saw what was going to happen, they said, Lord, should we strike with our swords? And one of them, and we know from John chapter 18, verse 10, this is Peter. One of them, Peter, struck the servant of the high priest, cutting off his right ear. But Jesus answered, no more of this. And he touched the man's ear and healed him. Then Jesus said to the chief priests, the officers of the temple guard and the elders who had come for him, am I leading a rebellion that you have come with swords and clubs? Every day I was with you in the temple courts and you did not lay a hand on me. But this is your hour when darkness reigns. Then seizing him, they led him away and took him into the house of the high priest. Peter followed at a distance. And when some there had kindled a fire in the middle of the courtyard and had sat down together, Peter sat down with them. A servant girl saw him seated there in the firelight. She looked closely at him and said, this man was with him, but he denied it. Woman, I don't know him, he said. A little later, someone else saw him and said, you also are one of them. Man, I'm not, Peter replied. About an hour later, another asserted, certainly this fellow was with him, for he is a Galilean. Peter replied, man, I don't know what you're talking about. Just as he was speaking, the rooster crowed. The Lord turned and looked straight at Peter. Then Peter remembered the word the Lord had spoken to him, before the rooster crows today, you will disown me three times. And he went outside and wept bitterly. The men who were guarding Jesus began mocking and beating him. They blindfolded him and demanded, prophesy, who hit you? And they said many other insulting things to him. You know, one of the most striking aspects of Jesus' prayer in the Garden of Gethsemane on the Mount of Olives is this intense agony he underwent. In fact, Jesus is experiencing hematidrosis. It's a medical condition 
where the capillaries that feed the sweat glands rupture due to extreme physical or emotional stress. That's, the, that's what's going on in him, physically. Jesus knew all along that he would go to the cross. It's not the physical death that he was agonizing about. Rather, the imminent weight of the sin of the whole world and the wrath of God that would be poured out on him caused Jesus to cry out, Father, if you are willing, take this cup from me. Yet, not my will, but yours be done. And we know from the events that followed that the Father did not take the cup away and Jesus did yield to the Father's will. What kind of events? I mean, we read this by reading all the Gospels together. We see that Judas arrives with the temple guard. He betrays Jesus. Peter cuts off an ear. Not sure what he was aiming for, but he cuts off the ear. And then Jesus performs a miracle and heals the man. Jesus is then taken to the house of Annas, the former high priest and the father-in-law of Caiaphas. That's from John chapter 18, verses 12 to 14. And then he's taken to the house of Caiaphas, the current or the, the high priest at the time. That's from Matthew chapter 26 and verse 57. And he's falsely accused, he's mocked, he's beaten. Right? This is what's happening. They've arrested Jesus. Judas looked for the opportune time. He knew that he would go to the Garden of Gethsemane to pray. That's where he usually went. The others wouldn't have known that or the temple guard may not have known. And they wanted to catch Jesus or have Jesus in a place where the crowd was not present. And here's Jesus praying in, this, in the night like this, just agonizing in prayer. And Judas brings the temple guard, they arrest him. But this morning, I want to draw your attention to the set of verses in this passage that speak to us about facing temptation. Before he starts to pray, Jesus tells his disciples to watch and pray. And the tense that is used there is a present continuous tense. He's, what he's saying is, keep watching and keep praying. And then in Mark chapter 14, when we read Mark chapter 14 about this account, we understand that Jesus actually came back to his disciples three times. And after praying by himself, he would go and pray by himself and then he came back once, finds them sleeping. He went and prayed again. He comes back, he finds them sleeping. And each time he finds the disciples sleeping, he just says, get up, get up, get up. You know, get up, watch and pray. And then finally, in Mark chapter 14, verses 41 and 42, it says, returning the third time, he said to them, are you still sleeping and resting? Enough. The hour has come. Look, the Son of Man is delivered into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us go. Here comes my betrayer. Whew. I mean, this is the agony. This is the intense emotion that Jesus is going through. But he comes to his disciples all these times in the middle of all this and keeps saying, keep watching, keep praying. Why? So that you do not fall into temptation. That was his concern. That was what he wanted them to be aware of and be safeguarding 
So the question for us, and the point that we have to understand is, why did Jesus pay so much attention in this time of intense agony to the temptation that we face? Because when we face temptation, we face temptation to give in, which causes us to give up and ultimately give out. When we looked at Luke chapter 4, verses 1 through 30, we considered the temptation of Jesus. Right? Satan comes right at the beginning of Jesus' ministry, even before he has really done anything as such. He spends 40 days fasting and praying, and then Satan comes to him and tempts him. And we, see all, we saw at that time, as we looked at that portion, Luke chapter 4, we saw that Jesus did not give in to the devil's temptations because there was nothing in him that the devil could lay hold of, right? In fact, in John chapter 14 and verse 30, Jesus says, I will no longer talk much with you for the ruler of this world is coming and he has nothing in me. He has no claim on me. He has no power over me. So that's how Jesus dealt with that temptation. He speaks the word, he deals with all the situation, he deals with the devil that's coming to try to tempt him. But we also considered three things in that when we looked at Luke 4, we considered that we are tempted to sin in those areas where our carnal desires remain uncrucified. So areas where the devil has a claim. There's something in our life that the devil can just go put a hook into. It hasn't been crucified. It hasn't been dealt with. It hasn't been removed. It's there. So the devil comes in and goes straight, you know, and once, it, as you, those of you who have done any fishing know, is not, I'm not speaking from personal experience, but when you put that hook in the fish's mouth, it, if the fish is truly hooked, the fish will go wherever you pull it. It may fight, it may, you may take a while, but ultimately, if that hook is secure, the fish will go wherever you pull. And all Satan has to do is to put a little hook in that one little area of vulnerability. You're strong everywhere else. You've got armor on, you're good. But there's this one little spot of vulnerability. And that uncrucified area, Satan goes right there. And then all he has to do is just pull lightly. The temptation doesn't have to be very severe. It doesn't have to be big, right? Just a little tug, off you go. And so we talked about the fact that we are tempted to sin in those areas where our carnal desires remain uncrucified. And in James chapter 1, verses 13 through 15, we said God is not the one doing the tempting. We are tempted when we are drawn away by our own desires. And those desires, when they have conceived, give birth to sin. And sin, when it is fully grown, gives birth to death, separation from God. The second thing we considered from Luke chapter four was that God gives us the strength to endure those temptations that we resist. If you don't resist a temptation, there is no strength necessary to fight the temptation. You're giving in. But when you resist the temptation, God strengthens. God gives the ability to resist that temptation and to see the devil fleeing from you. And that's why in 1 Peter chapter five, verses eight through 11, we said, be sober, be vigilant because your enemy is prowling about to try to devour you. And so you need to resist. When you resist, the Lord is there who will give you the grace and will allow you 
to as you flee the evil desires, as you, as you understand that you can resist and the devil and he will flee from you. And then as you understand that God says, I will be with you and I will stand with you and I will give you strength because I know what you can bear. Right? These are all the truths that we have. And then very importantly in Luke 4, from Luke 4, we said God restores us from those temptations that we give into. In 1 John chapter 2, verses 1 and 2, we said, my dear children, this is God speaking, I write this to you so that you will not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins. Appropriate that on the day of atonement, we should remember the atoning sacrifice for our sins. Next week, we will participate in communion. And as, I, as we talked about a couple of weeks ago, I trust that you're preparing your hearts to say, Lord God, we look forward to receiving this atoning sacrifice, this memorial of this atoning sacrifice that you have made for my sins, not only for ours, but also for the sins of the whole world. So here's the thing. The temptation to do something contrary to what the Lord has commanded us or to behave in a manner contrary to the will and the character of the Lord is first and foremost based or stems from a spiritual attack, a spiritual reality. The temptation in the Garden of Eden was not to eat a piece of fruit. It was to disobey God for selfish gain. The temptation that Joseph faced was not about indulging the flesh. It was about violating the trust of both his earthly master and his heavenly master. The temptation that Peter faced here was not about telling a lie so as to preserve his life. It was about dealing with his pride and self-sufficiency that he would not fall. The temptation that Jesus faced at the very beginning of his ministry was not about satisfying his hunger or saving himself or finding a shortcut to glory. It was about fulfilling the will of God no matter what. So when, or more accurately, as we give in to spiritual attacks, to temptation in the spirit, we are affected in our souls. The, the, the goal for Satan who comes to kill, to steal, and to destroy is not to get rid of your body. The goal for Satan is to affect your spirit and to affect your soul that you would not be with the Lord, that you would be lost from him, that you would be separated from him, that your life would be destroyed. The fact that he does something to the body is almost immaterial. So we have to first and foremost understand that this attack that comes, comes to us to attack us in our spirit, comes to attack what we stand for, the truths that we have. So when we give in to the devil's lies about God, his character, his purpose, his provision, his protection, his love and care for us, when we doubt any of those things, when we give in to the devil's lies about ourselves, I'm not good, I'm not worthy, I'm not this, I'm that. When we give in to his lies about our identity, our position, our, our material benefits, our 
desires, when we give into his lies about any of those things, then our emotions, our will, our intellect, our imagination is all impacted and we give up. We give in, but in giving in, we give up. And what do I mean by that? We lose hope. We stop believing. We don't trust. We are hurt. We become desperate. We wallow in self-pity. We hide from God. Our emotions are impacted severely. Our spirit and our soul is now severely impacted. And when our spirits and our souls are affected, when we give in and give up, ultimately our bodies, our flesh, will give out. We have no more strength. We have no more ability to resist. We, we can't even flee. We're too weak. Sorrow overwhelms us. We look at what we shouldn't look at. We say what we shouldn't say. We go where we shouldn't go. We do what we shouldn't do. We can't stay awake and we blame it on our flesh. We say, my spirit is willing. I will never betray you, Lord, but my flesh, my flesh is weak. We point to our appetites, our addictions, our physical desires for safety, comfort, and pleasure, and we say, I couldn't help myself. But our falling into temptation doesn't begin with the flesh. It's not because your flesh gave in. Your flesh gave out long after your spirit gave in. So it begins with those spiritual truths that we hold to. What is it that you really believe? What is it that you really hold on to? What is it that you really know of the word of God that gives you the means to be able to resist the devil? Jesus' response to Satan every single time was to quote a scripture. He knew what truths he was standing on. He didn't simply try to cast him out or drive him away. He said, it is written, it is written, it is written. And there was a truth that he was holding on to. Similarly for us, when the temptation comes, what is the spiritual truth that undergirds your stand? If there isn't a spiritual truth, you will give in spiritually, you'll be impacted in your soul, and your flesh will absolutely just be overwhelmed. You can't keep up. We tend to look at it the other way. And we say, you know, I just, you know, if I just don't look at this, if I just don't say this, if I just don't do that, that's at the end. Something started well before that. So our falling into temptation doesn't begin with the flesh. The sin that was given birth in our flesh was first conceived in our spirit, in the soul. And just as our falling into temptation doesn't begin with the flesh, our resisting temptation also doesn't begin with the flesh. You can't, I'm going to stand. That's what Peter did, right? He said, I will never fall. 
no amount, no, no amount of physical restrictions. And those who have young children know this well, those who have old children know this well, those who know themselves know this well, no amount of physical restraints, no rules, no restrictions, no punishments, no threat will keep us from giving into temptation physically if our spirits are not renewed and our souls, our minds are not transformed. You can't put a rule in place and expect that somebody will live a godly life. You cannot. You have to speak to the spirit. You have to say, hey, you need to be born again. You need to be transformed. There has to be a change. You have to die, 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 die. Then and only then can you possibly, possibly live a life in the flesh that is pleasing to the Lord. You can't start with the flesh. You can't resist the devil in your flesh. You can't say, I'm working out every day. You know, I'm going to be strong. Work out every day, that's fine. But that's not going to save you. That's not going to help you. Facing temptation is not merely about physical discipline. It's not about, it's not even just about crucifying the sinful nature with its passions and desires. We are able to crucify the flesh only if we have been crucified with Christ in the spirit. Then and only then do you have even the power to crucify the flesh. Otherwise, what are you going to do? What are you going to do? How will you crucify your flesh? I mean, you hear the statement, crucify the flesh with your passions, with its passions and desires. And you're going, how do I do that? What does that look like? Do I have to have a physical mark of my body once I'm done with this? I mean, like, you know, you don't know what that means. The only way we can even get to comprehend, and then the only way that we can even start to take action on this, to crucify the flesh, is if we have been first crucified in the spirit. Crucified with Christ. All the sins, everything else addressed. Our eternal condition redeemed transformed and guaranteed in Christ Jesus with the promise of the Holy Spirit living in us. Then you can say, okay, Lord, help me to deal with my flesh. Let me make a covenant with my eyes. Let me put a guard on my tongue. Let me not listen to that which is of coarse joking or other kinds of untoward kind of speech. Let me speak only words that build others up. Let the physical manifestation of your presence in me follow the transformation that you're doing inside me, in the inner man. When we are born again, when we have been made a new creation in Christ Jesus, because we believe and accept what he did for us on the cross, when our spirit has been renewed and our minds are transformed, then the parts of our body, our eyes, our ears, our tongue, they can become instruments of righteousness. You see, by the time Peter denied Jesus with his tongue, he had already given in to boasting and self-righteousness. He had already become sorrowful. His body had already given out in fear, hopelessness, and confusion. He denied Jesus 
three times. And then the rooster crowed. When we give in to temptation, Jesus knows what we're going through. Luke chapter 22, 61 to 62, what we just read. The Lord turned and looked straight at Peter. Then Peter remembered the word the Lord had spoken to him. Before the rooster crows today, you will disown me three times. And he went outside and wept bitterly. Isn't it remarkable that in the midst of the agony that Jesus is going through, in the midst of being arrested and mocked and beaten and falsely accused and he's in this mob and all that. Jesus is keeping an eye on Peter. He's, he's aware of where Peter is. He's paying attention to what Peter's, what's happening with Peter. I don't know if he could hear him you know, directly. I don't think he's, the word doesn't seem to imply that he's in earshot. He doesn't probably hear Peter denying him. But he hears the rooster crow. The Bible says he turned around and looked straight at Peter. Whoa. Think about that. He was keeping an eye on Peter in the middle of his arrest. He's more conscious of Peter than Peter is about him. And, and, and maybe even Peter is about himself. Peter's not even aware of what he's doing. No, no, I, I never even knew him. But Jesus is aware of Peter. And he turns around and looks straight at him. Oh, when Peter caught Jesus' eyes, when he saw him looking at him, the Bible says he wept. He went out and he wept bitterly. But I want to tell you this. When Jesus looks at Peter, looks straight at him, Jesus is not looking at him to condemn him. He's not saying, how could you do this, Peter? I told you this would happen. I knew you would betray me. And after all that I've done for you. No. Nope. Jesus had already said something very important to Peter beforehand. And when he turns around and looks at him straight in the face, he's actually saying, he's just repeating. He's saying, Simon, Simon. Satan has asked to sift all of you as wheat. But I have prayed for you, Simon, that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned back, strengthen your brothers. Oh, praise God. That when your spirit, when our spirit, when our soul, when our flesh fails, when we have given into temptation behind Jesus' back, Jesus turns around. And look straight at us with love, with compassion, with care. And he says, oh, I know what's going on with you. I know what's happening with you. I know I've prayed for you. When you return, strengthen your brothers. Oh, isn't that good? Oh, that's good news. <laughs> you know, when, when we worship a God who does this for us, he's going to the cross. He's in agony. He's sweating blood. And he says, oh, I look at you. I see you. I see you. I see you. Oh, praise God. Praise God. 
Praise God that he doesn't leave us to ourselves. Praise God that he prepares us that before even we fall, he tells us, oh, I'm praying for you, I'm with you, I'm, I'm there for you. So that when we fall, we can say, oh God, I repent. I repent. I repent. And when we repent and return to the Lord, oh, he restores us. He restores us. That's what he was about. That's why even before the creation of the world, knowing that human beings would sin and turn away from him, God put in place a plan of salvation even before the creation of the world. And he said, I will send my son and he will suffer and he will die for your sin so that you do not have to be removed from me. You can be restored to me. The whole plan of the salvation, the whole plan of the Bible is so that we would be restored in relationship to God. Oh, how glorious. Oh, how meaningful. Oh, how significant. Praise the Lord that Jesus is our sacrifice, our atonement, our advocate. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. That's what 1 John 1, 9 says. We quote it often, but don't forget it. Don't just let it be, oh, if we confess our sins, we'll no, 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 this is significant. Jesus says, I will restore you. I will cleanse you. I, my blood is shed so that it will wash you white as snow. Oh, my sacrifice is sufficient for your sin. No matter what you did, no matter how grievous you think it is, no matter what lie you have believed, what lie you believed to give in, what lie you believed to give up, what lie you believed and then gave, gave out, you were done. You said, it's enough. I can't do this. But Jesus says, no, I can restore you. I am there for you. Peter wept bitterly. He was broken. His self-reliance was gone. His only hope was Jesus. And very shortly, even as we go into the book of Acts, very shortly after this, we see that Peter is restored. Jesus receives him, instructs him, empowers him, and emboldens him. When Peter is later brought before the same Jewish leaders who had tried Jesus, he boldly declares that he not only knows Jesus, but that Jesus is the Messiah. And you know, maybe that servant girl and maybe those two men who confronted Peter on this night when Jesus is being arrested, maybe they were there in the crowd too when Peter stood before the Sanhedrin later. Maybe they heard that same man who had denied Jesus so vehemently before, so forcefully, I don't even know him. Here he is, back again, before the same group of people, saying, oh no, I belong with Jesus. I am a slave of Christ. I belong to Jesus. He is the Lord. I belong to Jesus. I know him. I do know him. And so, Jesus not only restores us when we fall, he protects us from falling again as we obey him. He preserves us for eternity as we yield to him. Jesus knows us. He
he restores us. He's the one that allows us to come to him. So what's our responsibility? We respond. We respond to what the Lord does by watching and praying. We keep on watching. We keep on praying so that we don't fall into temptation. We're not doing this. We're not, we're not watching and we're not praying so that we can say, you know, I, I prayed two hours yesterday. I fasted for twice this week, right? Just as the Pharisees did. It's, we're not saying, oh, uh, you know, I'm, I, I'm aware of all the prophetic signs and I'm watching and I know exactly when Jesus will come. No, no, no. This is not for us to boast. This is for us to watch and to pray so that we do not fall into temptation. That Jesus will be our everything. He will be our focus. He will be what guides and directs our steps. And as we watch and pray, we resist temptation by the power of the Holy Spirit and by the word of God. By our testimony, by the word that is dwelling richly in us, by the word that is a lamp to our feet and a light to our path, the word that continues to work in us so that it keeps us from sinning before God. It allows us to say, Lord God, I thank you that as I keep watching, as I keep praying, as I respond to what you have done for me, as you have loved me so much, oh Lord God, I thank you that you are the one that preserves me. You are the one that holds me. You are the one that loves me. Oh Jesus, I thank you. And so this morning, I want to say this to you. How should you apply this word? What do you do? I mean, when you realize what Jesus has done for us, what do you do? What can compare? Well, we apply by facing temptation. We apply by facing temptation that comes to us in any form. And we say, Lord God, we, with your help, identify those areas where I am most prone to a temptation. The fact that you indulged something in the flesh didn't start there. Remember that. It started somewhere else. It started with something else. It, and that's where you need to go to the Lord and say, Lord, help me. What is it that I'm prone to? What is the lie that I've given into? What is it that has been affecting me for so many years of my life? Maybe it's a past hurt. Maybe you react to somebody with, with sort of a cutting word because somebody did that to you 30 years ago. Maybe you hesitate to take an action because you did that sometime before and it didn't work out. What is the root that you need to go back to? Where is it that you need to say, Lord, there is this hurt. There is this soul hurt. There is this pain. There is this lie of the devil in my spirit even, ungodly beliefs that I've given way to. Lord God, help me. Let me deal with that. And as the Lord reveals that to you, revealing what you can deal with by his power and his spirit, revealing it in the time in which you can deal with it, deal with it. Get help if you need to. Talk to somebody else. Call a brother or sister and say, hey, let me, can you pray with me? This is affecting me. Can you stand with me? I need to see the, 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 the cleansing and the redemption that the Lord would bring in my life for this particular area. I am prone to temptation here. Let's pray. Let's watch. Let's keep praying. 
And then you apply the word of God to those areas. You pray for the strengthening of the Lord. And the Bible says that when you do that, when you resist the devil, he will flee from you. He will flee from you. Many times we try to we try to cast out our flesh. No, the Bible tells us to cast out demons and crucify the flesh. So we need to say, Lord God, help me, help me, help me, help me to understand what it means to resist the devil in, in, in these spiritual attacks that are coming and therefore to be able to crucify the flesh. Don't start with the flesh. I, if I'm just a little bit more disciplined, if I can just spend five more minutes each day in prayer, if I just, oh, bite my tongue, one day you won't bite your tongue. You know? One day you'll sleep in. One day you'll do something. You'll indulge. And then you'll feel miserable. But go to the Lord and say, Lord God, you transform from the inside out. Everything that I'm saying today, everything that I'm talking about is possible only if you are a child of God. It is only if you have yielded your life to God as your master, as your Lord, that you can say, come and do this in me. Come and do this in me. So if you are listening to me today, if you're listening to me wherever you are, and you don't know the Lord Jesus as your Lord and Savior, if you don't know him as your master, then everything that I'm saying here is very, very foreign. Because on what basis, on what basis can you say, Lord, I need help to do this? How? But if you have turned to the Lord, then you have the privilege as his child to receive his atoning sacrifice, to receive his power, to receive the ability to face temptation, that you do not fall into temptation. The child of God has that privilege, has that position. Praise God for that. So this morning, as we conclude, I want to give a little bit of time here just to pray and to ask the Lord, Lord God, what do I need to set right? What do I need to set right? And if you're listening to me online, or listening to this message later, I challenge you, I encourage you, what do you need to set right? This morning, do you need to go to the Lord and say, Lord, I believe. And, we're, and like I said, you know, we're, in the next few weeks, we're going to look more closely at Jesus's trial and his crucifixion and the, the sacrifice that he truly went through. But th this Sunday, right here, this is an opportunity to say, Lord, what do I need to do? How do I turn to you? How do I receive your salvation? And if you've never done that, if you've never called out to the Lord, you know, the Christian call, the Christian challenge is so simple that some people miss it. They think, is that it? That's all I have to do? Yeah. All you have to do is to say, Lord Jesus, I receive, I believe what you have done for me. And because of what you have done for me, I accept you as my Lord and my Savior. And I am born again. 
I was dead in my sins. I was living for the world and for all these temptations. I gave in to them. Maybe I felt some remorse or maybe I felt some guilt. Maybe I knew that I was doing something wrong. My conscience bothered me, but I had no way of dealing with it. Lord God, I accept you as my savior. And because I accept you as my savior, I thank you, Lord, that you change me. You don't leave me in my sin. You don't leave me dead. You give me new life. Hallelujah. Well, let's just take a few minutes and pray. Let's ask the Lord to do this transformation for everybody. Call out to the Lord. Thank the Lord. The Lord who cares for you. The Lord who turns around and looks straight at you. The Lord who loves you. Who looks at you with eyes of unconditional love. Love that covers over a multitude of sins. Oh, Lord God, we thank you. Praise the name of Jesus. Praise the name of Jesus. Praise the name of Jesus. What a good God we serve. Hallelujah. Call out to him. Pray, pray, ask him. Come, Lord Jesus. And you know, the wonderful, wonderful, wonderful truth of the word of God is that with just that one simple initial prayer, the Lord Jesus can enable you to keep praying, to keep watching, to keep waiting for his return. Oh, you will have joy in that. You'll be able to persevere in it. You'll be able to stand firm because of one simple prayer where you say, Lord Jesus, you come and take my heart. You come and save me. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Call out to the Lord. Call out to the Lord. Hallelujah. Give him your life. Oh, give him every area of life that you have been tempted in. Give him all the lies that you have believed and say, Lord God, you take this. Hallelujah. Give him all the boasting or the self-seeking and say, Lord God, it's, I can't do it. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Hallelujah. Oh, we praise the name of Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Hallelujah. Oh, we praise you. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Praise the name of Jesus. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you. Oh, that you loved us so much, so much. Father, I thank you that in the middle of your agony, your concern was that the disciples don't fall into temptation. Your concern, even when you are in the deepest, deepest, Lord, pain is for us. I thank you, Lord, that when Peter denied you, you didn't, you didn't do anything other than just that you looked at him. You were conscious of him. I thank you, Lord, that you love us, that you look at us, that you say to us, oh, keep watching, keep watching, my son, keep watching, my daughter, keep praying, my son, keep praying, my daughter, so that you don't fall into temptation. I don't want to see you falling into temptation. I want to see you living a victorious life. I want to see you conquering, being more than a conqueror. I want to see you resisting the devil. Oh, thank you, Lord, that that is your desire for us. But I thank you, Lord, more than anything else, that if we fall, when we fall, Oh, you restore us. You love us. 
you forgive us. So we say, Lord, help us. Help us to come to you. Help us to come to you right at the start of this journey, of this walk with you. And to say, you are my Lord. I believe you. I accept you. But then, Lord, help us to keep coming back to you, to keep returning to the Lord individually, collectively, and as a nation, to keep returning to the Lord and saying, oh, Lord God, oh, Lord God, we thank you for your atoning sacrifice. We thank you for your atoning sacrifice. Thank you, Lord, that you cleanse me, that you restore me, that you love me. Oh, God, thank you, thank you, thank you. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Call out to the Lord. Let him, let him be the one that truly transforms us into his likeness. Praise the Lord. Thank you, Jesus. We pray this together in Jesus' name. Amen.